I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we're coming to you from the Kodo of the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for June 5th, 2009, in which we talk about Jodo Shinshu and Buddhist ordination. Uh, recently on our Facebook page for the Dharma Realm, uh, we've been getting some questions and comments, which is great. And uh, we got one that's kind of interesting, and so we'd like to talk about that today. Uh, he asks, I was wondering if you could talk about the process of ordination that a Jodo Shinshu priest goes through, as well as the reasons why we don't have monks or nuns. So there's a cub, there's a lot in there, actually. Yes. Yeah, so that's a good question. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it even, I think we can even see, we, I think we basically say minister here in the U.S., yeah, like o- overseas, right? I mean, you could, it's, it's not an exact translation for the, the, you know, the Japanese term, and there's mm-hmm. a few terms even in Japanese, so could get complex, but we'll do our best. <laughs> Where to begin? Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty interesting that uh, we got this question because a, uh, I'm, I'm working on a research project this summer that looks at the ordination of ministers in the U.S. Mm. Um, so, surprise, surprise, I've started to do some research on this topic. Oh, good. I might actually have something to say. All right. <laughs> and, I, and I guess probably one of the things we should start with is the acknowledgement that currently in the Buddhist churches of America, um, there are many different ways to become a minister and there are some things that are in transition. Um, so some of what we say might not be relevant next week. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that's just the nature of the game. Also, uh, I don't think that Harry or I really know the details of some of the procedures in the, um, the organization formerly known as the Buddhist Churches of Canada. <laughs> what right. is it called now? Right, right, right. Uh, Jodo Shinshu Buddhist Temples of Canada. Right. The, the sister organization, or the, the, the same, the, B, the Buddhist Churches of America is in the United States, and then in Canada they have the Jodo Shinshu Temples of Canada now, which used to be the Buddhist Churches of Canada, which I just learned today. What do you yeah. mean? <laughs> I just found out a few religions, months ago. Religions change. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, don't, I don't think that we can speak to Canada specifically because they might have different rules that we're not aware of. Right, right, right. But we can speak generally and, and uh, from the mainland U.S. kind of perspective right. and then... Uh, maybe extrapolate a little bit from there. Right. So. So, well, I am an ordained uh, Buddhist Churches of America minister. Uh, So I've been through the process, and uh, as you mentioned, not only is the process changing as we speak, but it's changed in the past, too. Right. I'm sure it's been very different uh, from before World War II, uh, the decades after World War II, into the 60s, 70s, when Institute of Buddhist Studies was started, so that education became possible over here. I think probably in the past, technically, you had to go to Japan to, for your education and for your ordination. Right. And I guess before we even get into that, I think mm-hmm. we should also just stop for a second and, and answer that question of what is ordination to begin with. Oh, okay. Um, and some of the differences between being ordained as a priest or a minister and actually working as one. Ah. Because that seems like a, a subtle distinction in my mind. Okay. But particularly when you're talking about history, because um, I recently read this uh, un- as yet unpublished manuscript that talked about the history of um, the early history of, of Jodo Shinshu in America. 
Um, and right around the turn of the 20th century, people were getting ordained left and right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really, like there were ministers in the states who were letting people just become or become priests, basically. Um, but being ordained, I think, at that point, really meant just taking tokodo, and didn't necessarily mean that these people were going to be ministers in the sense that we think of them right, today. Right, right. Um, and it's also questionable whether those tokodos would be recognized by anyone. Right. Yeah. See, there's a whole mess of issues here. Yeah. <laughs> Should we go back even further to? Um, the time of Shakyamuni Buddha. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Let's start from the beginning. Take it from the top. <laughs> because originally it was a monastic tradition, mm-hmm. right? And then people would uh, come to the Buddha and want to join his... Well, at the beginning there was no order. There was just him. Yeah. But then his his five ascetic friends who he'd been practicing with before mm-hmm. he attained enlightenment uh, wanted to join him, right? And so they, were, I think, became the first... Uh, monastic followers uh, and then that order grew and grew and grew the the vinaya right is those uh, monastic rules uh, that the buddha would make up a new one when a problem arose right or when an issue arose right and so the vinaya grew and grew and grew and then later on after the buddha there's uh, there are um, different vinaya yeah different vinya lineages um, and you end up with. Uh, but basically they were monastic in the sense that they... Uh, they left home. Left home, did not celibate, marry, celibate. Right. Uh, and followed a complex set of rules that yeah. governed, you know, that really govern every aspect of your life. I mean, the vinya covers, you know, when to eat, how to eat, you know, where to sleep, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, of your da- daily activity. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fairly substantial commitment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then this, uh, these monastic orders spread really throughout much of the Buddhist world, maybe not all of it, uh, but much of it. Uh, and of course, that develops over time too. Right. Right. So it's not some static... Uh, monastic order that's always been the same and is uh, the way it always was. Uh, of course, there's development over time. There were also nuns, uh, probably dating back from the time of the Buddha, um, although some of those uh, uh, nun lineages have been lost in certain countries, mm-hmm. right? So that some uh, Theravada Buddhist countries don't have uh, uh, their own institutions uh, for women to become uh, monastics. Right, which is a whole complicated very touchy issue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course, once you get into East Asia, I think things get even more complicated because then there's a, a, a number of schools that take the Bodhisattva precepts. Right. So Mahayana comes into the picture. Yeah, which are, you know, less, would, you know, have a lot of overlap with the traditional Vinaya, but aren't as, there aren't as, there aren't a greater number of them. <laughs> right. They're, they're, and they're more, um, they're more like almost meta precepts. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. That they're 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 not addressing the um, specific behavior so much as well. Sometimes the specific behavior, sometimes, but yeah, also yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, more value lifestyle. Like I don't, I don't even I don't even know. <laughs> well, uh, traditionally, I think in in um, let's not talk about Japan, but my understanding is that like China, Tibet, uh, India. Uh, even Mahayana Buddhists took the vinya. the vinya, right? Followed the vinya. So if you were a Mahayana monk, 
of which there are many, uh, you were following the monastic rules, but uh, you also took the bodhisattva precepts mm-hmm. on top of that, so that you were a monk following the, the same vinya maybe that um, non-Mahayana monks had followed or were following um, back in India or whatever, but that you're also doing it with a, a Mahayana attitude and that you've, you've also got this monastic, I mean, uh, Mahayana uh, bodhisattva precept kind of um, understanding and, and behavior as well. Japan's a different story. That's where we really need to get to, I guess, to talk about Jodo right. Shinshu, because uh, even in Japan... Um, Things get nutty. Yeah. The, um, Nara had... Uh, there were ordination platform in, in Nara, mm-hmm. right? And so that there were people being uh, ordained there. I'm not sure... Well, there was even a Vinaya school in Japan mm-hmm. that just focused on the Vinaya. Mm-hmm. You know, so early Japanese Buddhism had the same Vinaya, the same monastic rules as... Chinese, Indian, Tibetan Buddhism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but later in the history, things start getting right. more complicated. Right. Saicho, I think, is one of the um, important people to talk about who founded the Tendai school in Japan. And uh, so he, his dream was to have his own ordination platform on Mount Hiei, hmm. not to have to get ordained in Nara, but to be able to do it on the mountain at his own monastery. And it didn't happen during his lifetime, but soon afterwards uh, they set it up. And uh, that is where people are taking bodhisattva precepts only. Right. And not doing the, the full vinaya. Right. Not following the, the traditional vinaya. Um, so only taking bodhisattva precepts. So that's kind of a big change. Yeah. A subtle but uh, important kind of shift. Right. And then... Then we along comes Shinran or and Honen, yeah, right. This whole Pure Land movement, um, which starts in the twelfth um, century, yeah, 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 late twelfth century, yeah. Um, and and so then this gets the, the this this finally gets us to uh, our listeners' question about why there aren't monks or nuns in the pure in the Shinshu tradition, right? Which has to do with Honen and Shinran, and and you know I think that that what we first need to recognize is that. Honen and Shinran were monks in the Tendai tradition. Yes. So they were. So then, then they 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 didn't take the, the Vinaya, right? Right. They would have been doing bodhisattva the, the precepts, precepts, I would right. assume. Yeah. yeah. Um, so already they're in that context of sort of one small step removed from the the full Vinaya, you could say. Um, but eventually they leave the Tendai community and go off on their own. Right. 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 Um, so it's interesting because um, I think that they were still considered monks. Right. Right. And even with this bodhisattva precepts, uh, it's well, not like they were just doing what they wanted, that there was a monastic structure to it and there right. were rules. And, and not only that, but the monastic structure was or, uh, 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 supported by the, the government at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's part of, the, part of the, the historical problem that they run into is that the, when they leave the monastic order, they actually get in trouble with the government for pretending to be Buddhists without being monks anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so there's, mm-hmm. we have to recognize that there's some relationship between, you know, that, that there's no separation of church and state at this point in history. <laughs> but you were right, saying. Right, right. Um, also that uh, I think that celibacy was assumed, right. right? That that was, that celibacy was a part of this. Um, so, so it's interesting. I, I, the, the whole issue of, of what 
monastic life would have been like in Japan in like the Heian period or or Kamakura period, I think, is is difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that the it's a, the assumption was that as a monk you were um, a celibate. Whether you actually were or not, that's another issue. But the interesting thing about Shinran is that he did marry right. while and assumedly while still a monk. It's not absolutely certain when he married, but I think the general picture is that while still a monk, he got married. He's like the although other people were having relationships with women, he was like whatever marriage meant at that time. He was like to officially together with a woman, mm-hmm. which was scandalous. You're not supposed to do that, at least out in the open. Uh, so, so that's one aspect of Shinran's spiritual journey is that uh, he was not adhering to the rules of the monastery. Right, which is not irrelevant. Right, not at all. <laughs> I mean, it's not irrelevant not only for the history of the Shin tradition, but I think it's not irrelevant as a new development in a doctrinal or practical aspect of Buddhism and Buddhist history more generally. Because I think that one of the things that that tells us about Shinran's perspective on Buddhism is that you can still do Buddhism while living a non-monastic life in a, in a rather, in a you know, very distinct, you know, separate uh, departure from the monastic community. Mm-hmm. And yet to say non-monastic implies lay, but it's not that either. Right. <laughs> I chose my words carefully yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Shinran does have this spiritual um, uh, dilemma and does um, go back and forth from Hiei down to uh, uh, the Rokkakudo, which is um, you can go there in Kyoto and in, engage in a dream vigil. And uh, uh, there's a couple different versions of the dream that he had, but um, eventually he ends up seeking out Honen or, or encountering Honen and Honen's teaching that the, the, the rightly assured act, the thing that's important is reciting the name Namu Amida Butsu. And that if you're, uh, you know, if you're, if, if, if the way to engage in that life of Namu Amida Butsu is with a woman as a monk, then do it. Right. The most important thing is Namu Amida Butsu. That's, that's the key. It's not the outward forms of the institutional structure that are important. Hmm. Um, that, that, that phrase, that's not the outward forms of the institutional structure mm-hmm. that you just said is very interesting because that's... Um, I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did. <laughs> but it's interesting because it's reminiscent of some of the Zen rhetoric mm. from, from uh, Dogen and on, right? Who says mm-hmm. that it's not the forms of the practice, it's just that you do the practice, mm-hmm. right? Even though Zen has all of these very complicated forms that you're supposed to follow, mm-hmm. um, that's not supposed to be the point, right? right, right, right. Um, when I, think that's, I think that's very true, and I think that's an overlap between these different kinds of Buddhism is that that's, that's kind of the point, is that it's not so much that you get hung up on you know, those outward forms of whether you're a monk or lay or ordained or whatever. The important thing for Honen in particular was to say the name. Now, one of the interesting things is that Honen uh, gets in trouble because, dun, of, dun, dun. <laughs> because of two of the um, two of his disciples and the whole story, Anakubo and another one, and uh, they get in trouble with the emperor and get executed. And then Honen, as their teacher and leader, uh, gets exiled with, together with several of his disciples, Shinran being among them. And so they get uh, defrocked. Right. So they are no longer monks quote-unquote they're no longer monastic they're now officially lay people and they get exiled to different parts of japan so uh, shinran goes up to echigo uh, honen goes somewhere else uh, 
eventually they get pardoned and they get as far as i know they get reinstated so they are again quote-unquote monks so so chinran does have this monastic status uh he does take a lay name after he's been defrocked but um you know afterwards he is considered a monk and yet he is married at this point in echigo with his wife right uh, so uh and then you know living his life and um, the family life with his wife and has children uh, <gasps> scandalous yeah huh? um <laughs> and returning to kyoto eventually honen dies before he can meet him again so he never gets to meet his teacher again uh, and then shinran dies mm-hmm. and uh the the um some of his disciples carry on the community some of his lay followers carry on the community there's several communities and there's different family members too right right and his daughter is um in charge of the the mausoleum holding his ashes in kyoto in kyoto uh so there's all these different groups and it's not until kakunyo uh, his grandson or okay. great grandson i forget one or the other um begins to make that mausoleum as the center of Shinshu practice and to right. build that up. Although there are other groups in the Kanto region, modern-day Tokyo area, um, or in Kyoto, who are who are not necessarily directly connected to Shinran's family. Kakunyo is also a monk. Uh, he's been ordained in the Tendai tradition. And so after that, uh, for, for several centuries, uh, Shinshu priests are ordained in the Tendai tradition. So they're Tendai monks, and yet they're living this Shinshu lifestyle of being married, having children. Right. Yeah. So there's some problems there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, huh? So they've been doing that since the time of Shinran. Right. So although they are, and even now they use the term Soryo, which means monk, to refer to Shinshu priests or monks or ministers or whatever we are, with the understanding, though, that we're not upholding the monastic rules mm-hmm. so that they grow their hair out possibly uh, uh, eat meat although that's another issue uh, get yeah, married we'll well, go to that one <laughs> yeah, getting married is the big one yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so then uh, how long does the this this uh, being ordained as a Tendai monk last I'm really not sure I'm not sure when uh, Jodo, like Nishi Honganji began Renyo, doing their, yeah, I would think so. Maybe even Edo period. Because Renyo is when Honganji and not Honganji, but Shinshu really starts to. Right, Renyo really pulls together the institutional yeah, structure of yeah, the Honganji. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So probably after Renyo is when. Sometime after. I would assume yeah. maybe sometime in the Ed, uh, Edo or Tokugawa period after 1600. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, did they have time while they're like fighting and everything? To, to <laughs> this is a long, complicated part yeah, of Japanese yeah. history. Yeah. A lot of fighting. <laughs> but anyway, fast, flash forward to, uh, to today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so um, now, Nishi Honganji, I can't really speak for Higashi Honganji, but Nishi Honganji or Jodo Shinshu Honganji Ha, uh, they do their own ordination. Right. They have their own ordination process, uh, which is referred to as tokudo. Mm-hmm. Which, and from yeah. what I've learned is is fairly, it's fairly difficult to go through tokudo mm-hmm. um, from what folks have told me, but that in Japan, um, it's pretty much open to anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to be sponsored or recommended for tokudo right. by somebody, usually by a temple, but that... You have to be qualified, right. whether that's through... There's a few different schools you can go to, or uh, there's a few different paths for that. Right. And that 
for a long time, lots of people used to get Tokido, like hundreds, just because it was something to do. <laughs> well, but they were probably the last, Temple's family. Right, but in the last you know century or so, the number has significantly decreased, oh. is what I've recently been told. Mm-hmm. Um, which suggests to me that Tokudo was an important religious ceremony or ritual to go through, but it didn't necessarily mean that you were going to become uh, uh, a working minister or working priest mm-hmm. in a temple. Mm-hmm. That the number of people doing Tokudo getting ordained was much larger than the actual number of... Uh, right, right, right. And th- I think that's true now, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting because we there's the Tokudo ordination, and uh, but that's once you get ordained, you're no longer a layperson. Uh, so there's an interesting part of the ritual of getting ordained that uh, at first you wear something called a zoku bakama, and it's this kind of skirt thing like you see when they do archery, mm-hmm. Japanese archery, and they have this skirt pleated skirt thing that they wear. And there's a version called the zoku bakama. Zoku means lay. And it, um, it's, it's a certain way to tie the knot and everything. And so you have to wear that uh, with just a white garment on top. Then you go through the tokudo ceremony, and then you take that off. You go back and change, take that off, and then put on your robes. Now you're ordained. You are no longer a layperson. So you wouldn't wear that zokubakama anymore. You wear the, a, regular, a different kind of hakama, kiribakama. The, um, so like um, when you do funerals or special services, you wear a, a hakama, that kind of skirt thing, but it's a different one. It's tied in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. So there are these it's that manifest in the, what you wear. Sure. Yeah. Um, but Tokudo doesn't really um, enable you to do that much as a quote-unquote minister. Right. You're not supposed to give Dharma talks. There's another uh, qualification that you need in order to be able to publicly give Dharma talks, uh, in order to become a head minister at a temple, uh, in order to go around and preach. There are these different... License isn't the right word, but maybe that's kind of the way to think about requirements. it. Requirements. Yeah, requirements. Because <laughs> Kyoshi is one of those. Right. Yeah. And 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 I say requirements because some of them I think are more ritualized. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Tokudo seems to me like a very ritualized uh, ceremony and training procedure through which one goes in order to become ordained. Mm-hmm. Same with Kyoshi. There's a certain ritual rigor to it. Um, other of these requirements are not ritualized or literally certificates, but at the mm-hmm. same time mm-hmm. you need them in okay. order to be officially able to or you know. Requ- you know, <laughs> allowed to do certain functions as a minister mm-hmm, in the the organization, the institutional hierarchy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that raises some questions for me mm-hmm. <laughs> about what it means to be a minister and why one would become a minister. Mm-hmm. Um, both, you know, as the the religious historian that I am, I'm interested in these questions of you know, what being a minister means, what ordination means, who does it, what their, you know, what their place is within a community and all the sort of abstract questions. Um, from a Buddhist perspective, I'm also interested in, well, why get ordained in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know, particularly if we look at this history and we look at um, Shinran and Honan and other figures who were, you know, saying it doesn't, the outward form doesn't matter, as you said, mm-hmm. why be a minister? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think these are important questions sort of doctrinally or from a practice point of view. Um, but having said all that, before I let you respond, <laughs> um, I don't think that that, that that necessarily means we shouldn't have ministers or that ministers don't play an important role in the community. Mm-hmm. To you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think it, it points to attention in Shinshu 
between the lay aspect of Shinshu, mm-hmm. right? That Shin, Jodo Shinshu is for anyone. It's for people that can't become monks and can't become, uh, you know, devote their 100% of their lives to Buddhism, to studying and following Buddhism. Uh, and yet, yeah, we do have these priests or ministers or whatever. Um, and so I think there is a kind of a tension there. The, um, but we can see that tension, I think, in the general Buddhist tradition, too, right. between right. lay people and the whole idea of Mahayana as a lay movement. Um, there are theories about that, about, you know, uh. um, you know, maybe earlier on it was a lay movement and then kind of got institutionalized or from the very beginning there are monks that are Mahayana. So, so I think there really is a tension between this monastic and lay right. uh, distinction just in Buddhism in general. So. And I, I think part of this issue, I've known a lot of people, I, I've seen that similar issues come up in other contemporary Buddhist movements in America. And there seems to be this question of what being ordained means. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I wonder if some folks have this idea that there's this hierarchy, right? That, you know, your chances of becoming enlightened are better if you become ordained than mm-hmm. if you're just a lay person, mm-hmm. um, which well, maybe that's true. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that to me that sort of diminishes the the... I might get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think that people who just become ordained because they want to, because they have a personal interest in becoming ordained, or because they want to become enlightened, I think to me sort of diminishes the role of ministers. Mm-hmm. Um, because ministers serve larger functions within a religious community, becoming an ordained priest and working within a community, to me, suggests that you have a vested interest in the welfare of others. And that it's got nothing to do with your own personal interest. Now, that's the ideal, and I'm sure there's plenty of self-centered, egotistical ministers out there who are <laughs> nonetheless doing a fine job. <laughs> well, um, but, but in the Buddhist tradition, I don't think it's uh, it's a given that you're supposed to work within a community. That may be a very Christian idea of what a minister does, or a Western idea of what a minister does. Because, well, look at Korean Buddhism, for example. The monasteries are in the mountains. The Korean uh, Buddhist monasteries are not out there in the community. They're separate. And that's another interesting thing in, in, in Buddhist monasticism is, is it in the city? Is it amongst the people? Or is it on the mountain? Is it away from the people? Um, you can see that in the forest-dwelling monks of Thailand, uh, this kind of like get away from people kind of move, be the solitary move versus be in a community, whether it's a monastic community or a greater community. Um, so I think it's... I think that there still is that tension in... Right. Um, I will cede that point to you, sir. A lot of the, the, the Buddhist tradition. And it, it's, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I think you're probably right about that. On the other hand, though, um, that's no doubt true for general, for a more uh, the broader history of Buddhism. Um, is that necessarily true in Shinshu, though? Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, and then this is where it gets confusing. <laughs> Which one are we talking about? Well, no, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable with the confusion, and, and I, I think this is an important conversation to have. It seems to me like Shinshu was, as you were saying, these other, you know, that Buddhism is the, the monasteries out in the mountain, in the middle of nowhere, monks are separate from the city, and that, that sort of thing. Historically, though, Shinshu has sort of been in the middle of ordinary yeah. life, so it presupposes that ministers are going to have a greater contact with their surrounding lay community however we define that but becoming in in yeah in jodo shinshu yeah. becoming a monk I, yeah i think you're right doesn't necessarily mean i think you're probably right that i am sort of projecting my own mm-hmm. you know western background onto the tradition which 
Well, no, I think I was confused about uh, that you were talking about Shinshu because I was thinking more in the general, um, general Buddhist milieu. Uh, so, yeah, no, Jodo Shinshu definitely. Uh, yeah, I don't know why people could become. Well, no, I do know why a lot of people become ministers in Japan is because their parents are minister or their fathers are minister. Yeah. Their family is a temple family, so they have to. Right. There's a in order to take over. Right. Yeah. There's a, a patrilinear suggestion. Uh, suggestion. <laughs> pr- Requirement. Uh, expectation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't think of the word suggestion. I suggested something else to myself. Um, and, and, but, and, but that's like the heart of the, the, the research that I wanted to start doing is mm-hmm. that question of, you know. Succession. That's what Succession, I mean. right. The, the, the Japanese have that model, whereas in the West, um, we don't. So why right, do right, right. non-Japanese uh, ministers want to become ministers? And I'm struggling with that. Uh, of, okay. You okay. know, of okay. people who are not raised in the Japanese culture who become Japanese who become ministers within this tradition? Why is it? What's their motivation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, is it just a job, which is fine? Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or is it for some deeper Buddhist need? Open, yeah. open questions. I don't have answers to right now. I can really only speak to my for myself. I don't like to um, generalize. Yeah, or, or assume other you know other people's motivations and why you know why they've done it. I've heard a lot of you can hear a lot of people complain. You know about why they think people want the robes and that they they want the the um, the authority, or they want the the prestige, mm-hmm. or um, so it f- maybe fulfills some kind of romantic um, view of wow I've become a minister I'm, I can stand up there and people have to listen to what I say or whatever I don't know <laughs> um, I haven't personally I don't feel like I've met people like that uh, for myself I was just really interested in Buddhism <laughs> I was totally into it and you know studying it. Um, on my own, and then um, finding the advertisement for IBS, and realizing, wow, grad school to study Buddhism, wow, that's wow, it's pretty what a cool concept. Yeah, <laughs> go to school to study Buddhism. Yeah, I want to do that, and then keep reading. And it says uh, we also um, are a seminary for people who wish to become ministers of the Buddhist Churches of America. I was like, whoa, that's what I want to do. It just felt right because. At that time, I felt like I did want to devote 100% of my life to the study of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Buddhism had taken over my other interests in music or, or whatever, and it, it really felt right to, to become a part of that tradition and to study it not as an academic, but as uh, not necessarily as a non-academic, but um, to, to, as a member of the tradition, as a practitioner. A practitioner, right, right, right. right. Um, so for me, it just it just felt right. So I, I couldn't really say, and I, actually, I didn't know what it meant to become a minister at that point. It wasn't until later on, after having actually come out here and starting at IBS and encountering the, some of the temple life and and realizing, oh, okay, this is what a minister does, right? And then, <laughs> wow, is that what a minister does? And <laughs> that kind of thing. And you know, and a lot of it is about people, and it's about ministering to people, right? Um, and being part of the community. And I think that yeah. serves an important function. Yeah, representing Buddhism, teaching Buddhism. Uh, counseling or comforting people uh, from a you know from the Buddhist point of view and uh, that's kind of what I feel like uh, my role is as a minister so well, I think there's probably a lot more we could talk about <laughs> no about doubt. this issue I think uh, we've covered a, a lot of good ground yeah yeah uh, we will probably take this up again uh, perhaps sooner rather than later not sure <laughs> uh, but uh, there's a lot there's really it's 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 a very um, interesting right we could go into issues of family and 
issues of what is a lay person versus a non-lay person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's lots there. I guess even more about the process, um, what you have to study. But But we'll save that. Yeah, we can't do that now. (laughs) Thank you.